Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. One question, two research reviews, and three actionable health tips, all centered around the Lifestyle First method, your blueprint for the 10 key roots of optimal health and happiness. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hi, hey, and hello, and welcome to Series 8, Episode 6 of the Lifestyle First podcast. And the theme that we are focusing on today is tea for time out. And the one question that we're exploring is, how can you be more mindful at work? So to help me answer that question, I have with me Pandit Dasa, a former monk and the author of the books, Urban Monk and Closing the Apps. Pandit Dasa, welcome. It's so lovely to be chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this topic that I love so much. Oh, wonderful. I can't wait to get going. But before we do, I have to um, ask you a question about your journey. I'm so intrigued. You share your journey in your books, of course, but I'd love some insight into your journey into the monastery as a monk and then your journey out of the monastery and then onto stages where you've been speaking to Google and NASA and the London Stock Exchange. So share that with us. I'm sure there's a lot, of, lot there for us to learn from. Yeah, well, I mean, I could probably spend the whole time talking about that, but I'll keep it brief. So I, I grew up in Southern California. My parents migrated from India to the U.S. in 1980. They came to this country with next to nothing. So it was very simple and humble beginnings. One of the first things they did, for, uh, they set up a small shop on Venice Beach. For those of you who know where Venice Beach is, if not, it's a great place to visit. It's a very interesting place. But they were working seven days a week. I was seven years old, exploring America, exploring Venice Beach, running around, just exploring everything. Pizza, skateboarding, all the hip hop and funk music that was going on. <laughs> and so within a matter of about eight years, my parents established a multi-million dollar jewelry business. Life was great. We began living the American dream much faster than we expected. But then life has its ups and downs. And so in the early 1990s, my parents' jewelry business actually caught on fire and we ended up losing everything when almost completely broke actually. And that was a hard fall for us. And then my dad decided to explore new business opportunities in post-communist Bulgaria uh, in the early 1990s. Yeah, the story gets wilder and crazier. That's why we don't have the time to get all, the, it's in my book, all the details, the Urban Monk book. But we spent a couple years there. I mean, no one spoke English. There was no internet, nothing on TV that I could understand. I mean, my entire life came to a screeching halt. That's all I can say. It just literally came to a halt. Like imagine if your car breaks down the middle of the desert. <laughs> that was kind of going from LA to that, uh, where you can't even talk with anyone because no one speaks English. But that's during the that was one of the hardest times of my life. I would say top three <laughs> hardest times of my life. And that's where I dove into mindfulness and meditation because I needed something to keep me sane and centered and grounded. There was too much turbulence, too much uncertainty. So. That was when my mindfulness practice began in the early 1990s in post-communist Bulgaria, strangely enough. So after two years there, we came back to the US. And then in 1999, I went to check out a monastery in Mumbai, India, just to explore myself a little bit deeper, how I wanted to live in this life, how I wanted to contribute, how, what impact I wanted to make on the people around me. So I went to this monastery in Mumbai, thought I'd spend just a month there just spend a month, clear my head, see how monks live. 
you know, we were waking up at four in the morning, everybody slept on a hardwood floor and no bunk beds, no mattresses, hardwood floor. And so it was, it was a tough life, but somehow just the camaraderie, the service, I fell in love with it. Ended up spending six months in India in different monasteries, came back to the US and moved into a monastery in New York City. Not a very quiet or serene place, <laughs> just the opposite. And the place where I lived, the establishment right next to us, I mean, the buildings were attached, like they were touching, was a tattoo shop. Right. <laughs> and then there was three bars, restaurants, nightclub across the street, a very popular, special kind of nightclub. Won't go into the details. It was across the street from a, a funeral home right next to the nightclub because maybe, I don't know, somehow there's a connection. <laughs> and so that's the kind of environment I was living in. Spent 15 years of my life living as a monk in New York. And then I did a lot of speaking and teaching on college campuses in New York City at that time, teaching students how to be mindful while in a very busy school life environment. And then I left the monastery seven years ago to take my knowledge and everything I'd learned to corporate America. And I've been speaking in companies around the country and some around the world as well on mindfulness in the workplace, mindfulness and resilience, mindful leadership. So that's my wild and willy story in I guess about three minutes. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for taking us so rapidly through that whistle <laughs> tour of a life which clearly had some incredible ups and downs and I can just sense this huge growth for you um, during that period as well. Um, and I think what you've managed to do just in those three minutes is really change that imagery of of what being a monk is and what mindfulness is. I think for many people, the words monk and mindfulness often go hand in hand, don't they? Because they're associated with silence and being somewhere still and being somewhere calm. And yet here you were in the middle of the most busiest city in, in the world, um, in the hustle and bustle of New York and all of its varied uh, visuals around you as well. So. How does that work then? How does mindfulness work when it is supposed to be attached to calmness, serenity, stillness? How does that work when life is so busy? Well, the calmness, the serenity and stillness are the things that we need to achieve inside. And that's what mindfulness does. So it's not dependent on our external environment. We're not just going to be mindful when it's calm and serene outside of us. Mindfulness is meant to bring that to our inner self, right? And because our outer self is not something we can control. If there's an earthquake, you can't control that. If, right, uh, no matter what happens to our economy or natural disasters, we can't control that. You lose your job, you can't control that. Something happens in your relationship, well, there's probably some things you could control there. But still, how we let the situation impact us is dependent on us. So mindfulness, is helping, our, helping us develop our internal sort of ecological system, <laughs> right? Helping us balance that out to deal with the turbulences and tremors and earthquakes and hurricanes of life. And those could come from the workplace is a place that provides a lot of turbulence and uncertainty and change. Corporations and companies are always changing. New management, new management style, the mergers taking place, it's just unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen, and especially during COVID. So much change. You know, companies changed dramatically because things weren't available. They couldn't provide as much. Prices were going up. They were going back down. It was just 
chaos. People weren't sure if they were going to lose their jobs, what was going to happen. So a lot of people did lose their jobs. So ultimately, the, there's so many things in life that we can't control. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can be more peaceful to understand that actually there's a lot in life we can't control. And part of mindfulness is to help us realize that, but to also understand that what goes on inside of me, I have a lot of control over, but I do need to take time out to manage what's going on inside of me so that I can control it. Because if we don't manage it, it's going to go completely out of control. Like our mind is going to drive us completely crazy. According to psychology today, an average person can have between 25,000 and 50,000 thoughts every single day. That's one to 2,000 thoughts an hour. Like just try to wrap your head around that much going through your mind. It's like, it's, got, it's a constant traffic jam. Yeah. If we don't clear that out, that, and you know, it, the traffic could be busy out. It, let's say there's no traffic on the streets, but you could still have a traffic jam up here. That's a great analogy, actually, to think about. Um, so bringing that into the workplace then, because workplaces are incredibly busy, aren't they? And you're absolutely right. We tend to absorb the chaos of the outside and bring that inside as well, don't we? And I think there's something in what you're talking about in that it's not allowing that environment to, to do that to us. But there's a skill there, isn't there? There is really a skill to know when to be able to switch on or switch off that internal dialogue um, or not. So how do you do that? I know in one of your books, you talk about um, our mind being able to store more apps than any other smart device and us having all of this information turned on um, at, the, at every moment, even when we don't need it. So how do we control that in our, in our working day when that external environment is so busy and constantly sending us signals? Yeah, then you know, I'm going to kind of build off of what you said, that how I talk about how our mind works a lot like one of these, right? And when you have too many, just think about it for a moment. When you have too many apps open on one of these, it slows down. It drains a battery. Now, how many apps do you think are open in your mind right now? <laughs> if you, and if you really stop to think, it's almost no end. The, it's, it's almost like looking at the sky in a clear night. You see some stars, you look, keep looking, you see more, you keep staring at the sky, and then eventually just you can see it's blanketed with stars. So the mind also, you're like, oh, I'm just thinking about my weekend. Okay, then if you go a little deeper, oh, I'm thinking about my weekend and my laundry and my kids and my dog. And okay, a little deeper. Oh my God, I got to pay the bills. I got to do this. I got to do a little deeper and there's more and more and more. So we have to understand that this is what's happening up here. And we do, we can control the mind like we control a smart device. We have to just learn how to close out the apps. Not all of them, the ones we don't need because there are a lot of apps up here that we don't need. Like even on our phones, I probably have half a dozen apps that I don't need, but I opened them and I forgot to close them out. And that's the same thing that happens up here. But it all starts with us recognizing that I have apps that are open. And that means we have to first stop for a moment and take a couple of minutes and think, okay, what's going on up there? What can I close out that's just draining my battery and is not needed? Because we're constantly worrying about what the future holds, which is normal to do. But if you think about it, so useless 
because we have zero, almost zero control over what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after. And our mind is expert at coming up with worst case scenarios about what's going to happen. Our mind is so good at that. It has a PhD in worst case scenario, PhD, right? We all as human beings have that. And so, and if it's not doing that, it's remembering negative things from the past Mm -hmm. and constantly replaying. It's like a horror movie that traumatized you and you're just trying to play it all over again, just for no reason. So it's like, that's like our Netflix account. We have control over that thing. (laughs) We can choose which movie we want to play and which movie we don't want to play. But right now we've given our remote control to our Netflix account to someone else and say, hey, you control it. Like that's a bad idea. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's also reminding me of all the tabs that I, I certainly have open on my computer. You know, I start with one tab and by the end of the day, I have so many tabs open and actually it does create that, that chaos and that confusion and this sense of, am I here or am I there or where should I be? And I think that, that there is that pressure, isn't there, from the, from the external world because life is so busy that we've got to get to everything. So everything's got to stay open um, all of the time. Um, And I completely recognize what you're saying about being drawn into things so so quickly you know that uh, that argument you might have with with your boss or that difficult email that you receive at work and you're still thinking about it uh, the very next day um so thinking about that workplace then when are when are the sort of times that we should be thinking about mindfulness can you give us some examples of how we can enable that to be much more yeah. active in our day-to-day at work so I think that there's many times during the day, the work that we can use mindfulness. And so let me explain what mindfulness is to some degree, because I'm sure there's a variety of definitions. One way to think about it is that keeping our mind in the present moment, right? Becoming aware of our thoughts and emotions and bringing our mind to the present moment. So what does that mean in the workplace? So let's say you have a 9 a.m. Monday morning meeting. And at 8.30, you had an argument with your family member right? And now either you're going to virtually log in or you're going to the office. Now we have to be aware of the present moment, meaning that I'm carrying the baggage of that argument around with me and I'm really upset. And if you're carrying baggage, you're going to spill that baggage over onto the colleagues when you talk to them or the client you're going to have a meeting with at 9 a.m. So if you don't stop and recognize that, oh, I've got this irritation, this frustration, this anger, if you just kind of walk right into that meeting, you're going in unprepared. And the mind's probably going to get the best of you. You're definitely not going to be present with those individuals or you'll end up saying something that you later regret or you lose the deal or you might, you know, create a rift in your relationship with that colleague. So if you are aware in the present moment, because like, you know, I'm really upset. Even if I'm a minute late, I need to take a minute and do some breathing exercises, calm my mind down, relax my mind so I can be more present and I don't mess this up. So If we're aware, then right before that meeting, we can do it. And now let's say you had a difficult meeting. Now, after that, before you go to whatever you're going to do next, now take a minute or two for yourself. It's not an hour. It's not 20 minutes. Take a minute or two. Close the door. Just take 10 deep breaths. Just really deep breaths, right? Fill up your lungs completely. Exhale thoroughly and completely then take a moment to think of something you're grateful for and then go to the next thing. Why not give a little break? Like, you know, when you go on a long road trip, right? There's these rest areas where you can stop, 
You can use the bathroom. You can fill up gas in the car. Okay, give yourself a rest break. It's a journey. The day is a journey. It's not a marathon. You need rest areas to fill up your tank. So give your mind that rest break because like a smart device, it can only handle so much. And if you're piling stuff into it, it's just a matter of time before it crashes and you lose control of the day. And so, and of course, another great time during the workday is when at the end of the workday, before you re-engage with your family, why not take two or three minutes now? So you prepare yourself to re-engage with the people that are the most important for you in your life. Can't we take three minutes to prepare to be with them? Right? So these are some ways during the workday that we can apply mindfulness. And I also like to think that we can apply mindfulness in the workplace by just taking moments, a few minutes to think about the contributions of some of our colleagues. Thinking not just about, oh, look how much I'm doing. I've been here so long without me. How would the company survive? I've done so much. We've got a whole checklist. Well, why, why not create a checklist for some of our colleagues? Like all the amazing things they're doing because that helps us create empathy also. Now we're able to understand what they're going through and that their success is helping the company succeed. And without them, I may not be able to get done what I'm doing. So taking time out to be mindful of the contributions of our colleagues, but not just being mindful, but also expressing it to them saying, hey, you know, I really appreciate all the specific, you know, be specific, the, the, the comments you made in that meeting, I was so inspired by them and I'm going to try to implement them into my own life. And they'll be like, wow, you just made their day. And when you see a smile on their face, there's a pretty good chance that you'll end up smiling too when you see someone else smile. That's what happens when we see someone smile, the human emotions is usually you want to smile too. So, and then you also created a bond between yourself and that person. Like you created trust and bond between you and your colleague because of that compliment. And there's a good chance that when they see you doing something, then they'll do it too. And if they don't, don't keep track. Don't keep like an, don't keep an accounting sheet of this. Oh, you know, I did it five times and it's five to one. I'm in the lead. No, then you're missing the point. You're doing it because as a human being, it makes you a better human being to recognize other people's success. You're, it's an investment in your own character development when you say something good to someone else about something they've done. So it's not for them, it's for you. But then it's also for your relationship. Gosh, there's so much power in what you've just shared with us. And I think that's really important to recognize, isn't it? That what you've described is actually incredibly powerful. And I think for some listeners, it might seem so simple that it's not worth doing, but actually it's worth doing. And then appreciating the difference that that makes, really reflecting and noticing the difference. I think that the two A's that you've highlighted, awareness and appreciation, are probably gifts that we have that we underestimate so much. And yet we have them in our grasp all of the time, don't we? But we just underutilize them. Yeah, it's, it's something no external factor or force can stop us from appreciating and expressing gratitude. It's within us all the time, whether we're laying in a hospital bed or whether we're running a million miles an hour, we always have the power to appreciate the goodness around us and express our gratitude. Nothing, no external physical situation can take away a human being's ability to feel grateful. And the moment you start feeling grateful, 
you actually immediately start becoming happier. And when you become happier, we know our immune system starts working better. Everything works better. Everything works better. So we have that ability to be a good colleague, a supportive colleague. And sometimes we think that appreciation, it only needs to come from the top down from leadership. Yes, they absolutely need to do it. But again, why not develop that leadership mentality? Don't just wait for them. Develop that mentality yourself and start appreciating those around you. And now you've become a better human being, a better coworker, and you've probably inspired others to do the same, which will ultimately create a more positive and mindful workplace culture. Oh, absolutely. There is that mirror effect work that works and that's, uh, that's powerfully mm-hmm. at work as well, isn't there? So, so there's being mindful of yourself, being aware of your own thoughts, where you are going into activities with real intention, showing up how you want to show up, having choice about that. That's what I've heard you describe. And there's also being mindful about your colleagues, being aware of their contributions as well. Um, I use this phrase quite a lot, which is be where your feet are. And I think that alludes to being present, doesn't it? Where actually be, be where you are right now. And that idea that we have choice, that you can actually be very intentional about how you show up. Does mindfulness play into that sense of living with intentionality as well? Yeah, I mean, I think intentionality and mindfulness can almost be synonymous because if you're not mindful, how can you, you need to be intentional about things that we do, right? That is, I think, mindfulness. I I don't know if there's really a difference between the two. Mindfulness is like really just being aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's like when you're taking a bite out of your sandwich, just taking a moment to enjoy it. And first of all, feel grateful that you have food. <laughs> and secondly, that, wow, the taste of it, that someone made this, somehow it was made. Maybe you put it together, but the ingredients were gotten from somewhere else. So I think intention is crucial. And I think intentionality and mindfulness really just go hand in hand because you, otherwise it's mindless. If you're, there's no intention behind something, you know, it's like going up to your colleagues or if you're the manager saying, Great job, everyone. That's nice. But like, you just lumped me in with everyone. So like, great job. That means you didn't want to take the time out to think about what the great job was. There was, you know, not enough time in your schedule to really say like, hey, thank you for doing that. And thank you for staying over time. And thank you for that report. Or thank you for dealing with those clients. It's like, okay, wow, that was right. It can't be done all the time. But at least that intention can be communicated through that through appreciation. So I, I do think mindfulness and intentionality are very synonymous. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for clarifying that. And you can create mindful habits at work as well, can't you? Just building on what you've been saying about the appreciation, you could carve a habit where the last thing you do before you go home in the evening from work is to make sure you've thanked somebody. And that you've done that once, you do that once, you do it again, you do it again. It becomes something that you're not even thinking about. It's habitual. You're actively seeking somebody out to thank because you want to. It's become a habit that you've carved out being more mindful of others at work, right? Yeah, mindfulness can definitely be developed into a habit. Yeah. And you know, when we're, since we're talking about appreciation, I'll throw out one other thing. Let's, if we can, make, it, make a habit of appreciating somebody we don't see eye to eye with. That is the real, then you know you're really achieving mindfulness when there's someone you don't see eye to eye with, someone you've argued with, 
But now saying that, okay, I had an argument with them. They had a different perspective. I totally didn't agree with it, but let me take a moment to think of their good qualities and their good contributions, because now you've taken them out of that negative, negative space that you're holding them in within your mind. And you've put them into a positive because we're holding too many people in that negative space in our mind. And it's burdening us. <laughs> no one else. It's burdening us. But let's be honest, that is hard. Well, that's what mindfulness is. I mean, we never said it's, you know, it's not just like some, a picture of some dude sitting in a yoga posture in front of the ocean all the time. The mindfulness is you're in a meeting and someone says something and they explode and now you're about to explode. Like that's when it's supposed to come in handy, right? That's when you need it. It's easy to sit and meditate when we're hearing this breeze of the, feeling the breeze of the ocean, hearing the waves crash against the sand. That's nice. Great. We should do it when we can. But when you're in the middle of the heat of the moment and something crazy happens, that's when your true self is going to show up. Mm-hmm. And so what is that true self going to look like? Are we happy with the true self that's going to show up or do we, does it need improvement? I can say it definitely needs improvement for me and I want to improve on it every single time. So I think that's when it really is. That is the hardest part, appreciating others. But in the workplace, if we want to have positive relationships, we have to be able to appreciate people we don't get along with in some capacity or another, because otherwise it's completely stifles collaboration and communication and cooperation. And when that stifles, the team hurts, the organization hurts, and the whole environment can feel it, that there's a conflict between these two people. Everybody knows it. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so appreciate that mindfulness may be difficult, but also accept that you want to do what it takes in order to work more productively, have a better relationship, be collaborative, be at your best. Yeah, all good things in life worth achieving are a little difficult. (laughs) And now here is your lifestyle first prescription. Your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. Shall we try and wrap this up? Can you leave us, uh, Panditasa, with three actions for our listeners to take today so that they can be more mindful at work? Sure. One thing is when you first wake up, don't grab for this. (laughs) When you're awake, just take 10 deep breaths. Mm -hmm. When your eyes open, take 10 deep breaths. You're still in bed and think of one thing you're grateful for. Right. And then at work, try to appreciate a colleague and their contributions. And remember, go back and forth between somebody you do get along with and someone maybe you don't. And the third thing is when you sit down for dinner in the evening with family or friends, maybe start your dinner with a little practice of going around the table with everybody saying something that they're grateful for and get that started off in that way. That could just set the tone in such a wonderful way because now you're really present. Now everybody's thinking Everybody's coming to the present from their mind being all over the place. Now they're thinking, what are they grateful for? And when you express that, now everybody's actually into the present moment. And now you can have a proper meal, hopefully without these. Wonderful. Three actions that we can all start from tomorrow. There's no reason we can't all do that straight away. Thank you. We really do appreciate your your insights. And thank you for sharing your wonderful and intriguing journey as well. I'm sure people are going to want to find out more about you, find out about your books, find out more about what you do. So what is the what's the best way to to get hold of you and find out more? So you can find me I'm very, very active on LinkedIn and Instagram. I post on there almost every single day, something, a positive message, a quote, short video, something that you can use for the day. 
And my handles for both are just Pandit Dasa. And that's also my website, panditdasa.com. And these are my books right here. This is uh, my monk book. <laughs> that's me standing on the rooftop of our building in New York City. You can see there's the Empire State Building is right there. And so this one's about my journey. And then my other book that I wrote last year is called Closing the Apps, How to Be Mindful at Work and at Home, filled with a lot of just tips, practical tips on daily how you can be mindful and practice mindfulness. So yeah, you can definitely find me online very easily. Oh, wonderful. I shall put all of those links onto the description of today's conversation as well. So people will absolutely be able to find you very easily. Thank you so much, Panatlas. It's been a, a very inspiring conversation. Those three actions, I'm certainly going to start those straight away for myself. And I hope listeners uh, listening today will also do that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Wonderful. Which simply leaves me now to wish everybody a happy, healthy day. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast, making self-care as easy as one, two, three. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and we'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. To learn more or to arrange a consultation, please visit www.dralkapatel.com. See you next time.